Great, good morning. I want to say good to have you guys here. Lovely to see the place packed. Excellent. You are very welcome. I love the fact we're so friendly. I want to stop it in one respect. I do want to add my welcome to Ed. It's fantastic seeing so many people here. We appreciate your support and you coming along. Uh, as I'm saying, it's just welcome. I didn't know Adam would be saying earlier, but I was thinking if this was a ship, we would launch it with a bottle of champagne, wouldn't we? You know, it would be that kind of experience, wouldn't it? I mean, if this was a new birth, we'd probably have pink helium balloons everywhere. <laughs> yeah, why pink? Because the church is described as the bride of Christ. So, uh, you know, I went for pink on that one. If you're about to start a new church, how on earth do you choose a name? I don't know if you've been thinking about this, but I thought that might be a question I would answer. If you're a parent and you want to choose a name, there's lists on the internet. I don't know if you're going to have a child this year. Top boys' names are Harry, Jack, Oliver, Charlie, or Alfie. Top girls' names are Livia, Lily, Sophie, or me. But what about top church names? How on earth do you work out the name of a church? Well, we can always find answers now on the internet, and I've got a short video which suggests one name for a church. See if you'd rather have that one. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. We didn't seriously consider calling it Me Church. I guess it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so often we come to church and we can think about what will it do for me? And actually, we called the church Redeemer because we want the church to reflect the name. Many of you will have remembered the advert, Ron Seal, it does what it says on the tin. Well, I'd like to feel that this church was like that. If you said, actually, Pete, you're launching a new church, what's it going to be like? Well, it's going to be about the Redeemer. So I looked up the word Redeemer in the Oxford Dictionary. It says this, to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of others, to do something to make up for the past bad behavior. It's almost a sense of delivering somebody, ransoming someone, rescuing somebody, recovering someone. I guess if we're honest, it's not a word that's always used today. And so I thought, how could I try and explain Redeemer and what does it mean to people? Well, if you read through the Bible, you find there are many Bible verses, and they'll be coming up here this morning. 
Psalm 19 verse 14 says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, what had happened in the Old Testament is King David had sung about God who created heaven and earth and said, Well, God, you're incredible. I really feel unworthy when I look at the insects that you've made, the beauty of creation. I need you to redeem me. That's what it says in the Old Testament. It says it in Psalm 44. You could look that one up when you get home. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. It's almost like the people of God in the Old Testament, they were suffering at the hands of their enemies, and they cried out to God, God, we need you to redeem us. That's one way that it was used. Another way you could say in the Old Testament was the prophets. They often used to come and help the people. And so the prophets were there to remind them something about God. In Isaiah 41, verse 14, Isaiah is saying to the people, what happened now is they'd been dragged off into a foreign country. They were living in exile, as it was called then. And they said, fear not, you worm Jacob. This is not a pleasant way of talking to the people, but it's the way they did it. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So it's almost like as a people, you've got yourself into trouble God can come and help you out. Now, I, I recognize that loads of words can sometimes go over our heads. I know that a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so rather than just pile through lots of Bible verses this morning, I just wanted to tell you four quick, simple pictures. And hopefully that will give you an understanding of why would they call a church Redeemer. Well, the first picture is this. It's the story of Moses. Some of you may have heard of that. It's the biggest, best, well-known, probably well-loved story in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Basically, uh, if you've uh, seen the show, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he's gone into Egypt. The people were there. They'd been there 400 years, but they'd forgotten how good Joseph was, and they'd made the Israelites slaves. They called out to God, God, we're in trouble. Would you help us? Would you get us out of Egypt? Now, Moses was the little baby that was in the bulrushes. He was rescued, brought up in the palace, ends up killing somebody. So he didn't get a good start, runs away to the desert, sees a bush on fire, and God speaks to him. And this is what God says to Moses before he does anything. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now the story, if you know it doesn't go particularly well, he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go. They're doing all the building for me. And there's ten nasty plagues that take place. And then ultimately Pharaoh says, okay, get out. You can go. Take the people. Go. I don't want you here. And and, and there's about a million people that are heading out towards the Red Sea. And suddenly Pharaoh thinks, no, I've let go of the whole workforce. Chase them. Get them back. Charges after them. Suddenly the people think, we're in trouble. We've got the army of Egypt behind us. We've got this Red Sea in front of us. We ain't going anywhere. And God opens up the Red Sea. And it says in the Bible that these million people went through on dry ground. And actually, when the Egyptians tried to follow, it says that the water came back and they were destroyed, but God's people were set free. They had been slaves and now were set free. 
God had promised, I will redeem my people. Moses' sister, a lady called Miriam, decides to sing a song and celebrate it. It's in Exodus 15. It says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You see, I would say this is a picture that we can understand. People were slaves and set free. Now, you might say to me, actually, Pete, that's fine, but I'm not a slave here. I mean, you might sometimes feel it when you've done 60 hours at work, you know, in a week, and you might think, oh, but reality is none of us are slaves. But what's the Bible say? Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, that's not a word we use a lot, and it can seem a bit... Sin, I guess, is anything less than perfection. It's anything you think, say, do that's wrong. So actually, most of us would admit we practice sin. Will we admit we're a slave to our sin? Will we, like the people of Israel, cry out to God? You see, I think if so, then that's the kind of church we'd like to be. We'd like to be a kind of church that people who say, look, I recognize that I don't want to keep looking at porn on the internet, Pete, but I do. I recognize that I don't want to keep lying to my husband or wife, but I do. I recognize that I don't want to keep cheating the boss at work, but I do. I recognize I've almost become a slave to these things that I'm ashamed of. I'd like to be part of a church where they said it's time to go free. I'd like to be part of a church where they essentially said there's a God who sets you free from these things that I'm just ashamed of, that I don't want to think like that. I don't want to explode with anger when my kids spill cereal all over me at breakfast table. Anger's got a hold of my life. Why am I so cross? I'd like to be set free. Then I'd like this to be a church for people that want to be set free. I think that's, the, that's a picture of the Redeemer. That's why we've got his name all over the balloons. It's over the door. I would like to tell you a second picture, which I think helps us understand what the word redeemer means. So the first one was Moses. The second one is Ruth. This is a very small book in the Old Testament. This story happened probably about 3,000 years ago. Basically, a man is hungry. His wife and two boys go with him and settle in another land. The two boys take on wives. Sadly, all three men in the story die. So there's this older woman and the two daughter-in-laws. One of them is called Stiff-Necked. We don't hear a lot about her. The other one is called Ruth, which means friend. They decide to go back to Bethlehem. Remember, they're hungry because Bethlehem means place of bread. So you can understand something of this story. But Ruth is now an alien or a foreigner in Bethlehem. She would feel lonely. She would feel hungry. She was homeless. I'm aware that living in a city is one of the most lonely places to be. I'm aware that you can be on the tube and people closer than you feel comfortable invading your personal space and yet inside you're still very lonely. I'm aware that there's some people that live in this borough that actually feel lonely because it doesn't feel their home. There's 172 different nationalities that are living here. Some of them say, well, it doesn't feel my home. Some of you might just think, yeah, actually, Pete, I'm not actually homeless, but I don't feel I'm I'm with friends. Well, the story of Ruth talks about this guy, Boaz. His name means strength. Hopefully you get the picture. He's generous and protective towards this foreign girl. He welcomes her and says, you can collect grain in my fields. He says to his men, go on, be generous to us. Drop a bit extra. Let her pick her up. 
He actually says to the guys, don't let any of the other men attack her. I want her to be protected when she's in my field. In fact, he even offers her food to eat and wine to drink. And when she goes to him, he puts his blanket over her. Now, this wasn't something strange that we might think. Now, this was a sign of protection. And so it says in Ruth 3, verse 9, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. This is Boaz speaking to her. Spread your wing over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And the story ends up that Boaz marries Ruth. And the whole story changes. So at the start of the book, there's a sense of, oh, everything's dying. At the end of the book, everything's about living. At the start of the book, they're trying to seek rest. At the end of the book, they found it. At the start of the book, it's all about bitterness. At the end of the book, it's all about pleasantness. At the start of the book, it's all about empty. By the end of the book, it's about fullness. You see, what had happened is Ruth encounters a redeemer, and she goes from a childless widow to become a wife and a mother. And if you've heard of King David, she was the grandmother of King David. You see, that's the difference that a redeemer makes in your life. It blessed her, it blessed her family, it blessed the community, and it blessed the nation. In fact, the whole book of Ruth is about the word redeemer. It's mentioned 23 times in that book alone. So some of you might be here this morning, and you might be spiritually lonely. You think, I haven't got a family to call my own. You might be spiritually hungry. Actually, I'd like to find out a bit about this. Why are all these people singing? Why are they so happy at this time on a Sunday morning? Maybe you need to find out. You might feel I'm I'm spiritually homeless. I know that 22% of London go to church, which means in this borough alone, there's 257,600 approximately that are looking for a church. I think we would like to open the doors. That's what Redeemer is all about. The church here is for individuals, families, people that need a blessing. That's why we call it Redeemer. One, because it sets people free that were slaves. Two, because it blesses them. Number three, I'll tell you a story which is a a strange story probably in the Bible. It's the story of Job. He was a good man. It says that right at the beginning. He was respected in the community. He was a generous man. I mean, if you're thinking Ealing now, you'd probably say school governor. You'd probably say, golly, gives loads of time, gets no pay for it, probably gets a load of grief. If we were thinking about who to put a fountain up for in the borough of Ealing, we'd probably think Job. You know, he was that kind of man. He was good, kind, generous, thoughtful, scout leader, friendly, helped run the marathon. He'd do whatever Job did, but tragedy hit him. I mean, you cannot believe it because it says that his animals were stolen. Fire and lightning took his sheep and shepherds. A desert storm flattens the house where his seven sons and three daughters are having a party. And he gets covered in boils. And that's by the end of chapter 2. It's over 40 chapters. You probably think, I don't want to read chapter 3. Three friends turn up to help. They sit there and they're useless. One's a mystic and just talks about experience to him and says, man alive, forget your troubles, you want to hear mine. The other one says, well, you're, he's a traditionalist, you've just sinned, you've messed up. And the other one's a dogmatist. He said, there's no compassion in God, God is against you. Even his wife says to him, oh, for goodness sake, curse God and die. And yet the whole book turns on one verse. Job 19, verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. 
And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. You see, this was a good guy that had fallen on bad times. But in the midst of his need, he still trusted in God to redeem. And I think there can be good people here. And you might say, golly, Pete, it's, only, it's, well, it's not been a month yet into 2013. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about paying the mortgage. I'm worried about my career. I, I, I'm worried about my health. I really wanted to marry, and it doesn't look like it's happening. I really wanted, and it's not. And you could be a good person. And yet inside, just think, it's, I feel like financially, emotionally, physically, I've fallen on hard times. Then I would love this church to bring some hope. I'd love the church redeemer to say, actually, we believe in a God. We believe in a God who created heaven and earth. We believe in a God that, that knew the design of every snowflake that stopped you having to go to work last week. That's the kind of God that we believe in. And so I would love to think that this is church that brings hope to people. And it's not, oh, oh, drag me down. It's church. It's almost like, golly, I want to go along to Redeemer for some hope. So I've told you about Moses. I've told you about Ruth. I've told you about Job. There's one other story that I'd like to tell you from the Bible that tries to explain something of the Redeemer. There are two characters. This is in the New Testament, this one. So this is around the time of Jesus. There are two characters there that uh, were walking home from a funeral. They were gutted. It could have been a husband and wife. I mean, we're not totally sure of that. But they were down. They just thought, golly, what's going on? What's happened? It's not really as I'd planned. Dreams had been shattered. Aspirations disappointed. They were living in an occupied country, and they really thought that something was going to change, and it didn't. They were trusting this revolutionary, and it didn't quite work out as they thought. They were hoping that this was going to be the guy that was going to overthrow and give them a load of freedom. But it hadn't quite happened like that. The two guys had just come from Jerusalem, where Jesus had been killed, where he'd been hung upon a cross. You can read about the story in Luke 24. In fact, it says in Luke 24, verse 21, we had hoped... He was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. They were discussing his death. It says these two, they were traveling seven miles out of the city, dejected and down. And it says that this third person drew alongside and listened to them. And then he explained to them the whole thing about Jesus. And what he said is, hey, don't get disappointed because it says, in fact, it says in Luke 24, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken you. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. I think the church is here to help those that have got disillusioned because they've misunderstood who Jesus was. And I think sometimes we get disillusioned because we think, oh, Jesus was going to behave in a certain way or do a certain thing. And when he hasn't quite done that, we think, uh, I'm not sure I want to follow him anymore. Maybe even in the past, if you're really honest, you've prayed a prayer and you think, I don't think he quite answered that as I was expecting. Maybe you've had this assumption that he was going to break in and do something. It didn't quite go that way. 
Well, I would love this to be a church that comes alongside and says, we'd like you to have a fresh look at who Jesus is. We'd like you to have a fresh understanding of Jesus. We want you to stop and look again at him. You see, why do we want to call the church Redeemer? Because it does what it says on the tin. There is one Redeemer, and I believe his name is Jesus. I believe that the Father was involved in redemption. He originated it. It was his idea. I believe the Spirit applies it to us. But I believe, biblically, that Jesus is our Redeemer. It says in Mark 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man, this is talking about Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, we believe, came at Christmas, his birth, to die at Easter, not three months later. It was 33 years later. The perfect died for those that had done wrong. He gave his life as a ransom for us. So what does this church want to be known about? We want to be known about the fact that we genuinely believe that Jesus has done it for us. That's why we're called Redeemer. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, in Romans 3.24, says, You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. It's almost like the Bible saying, here is a gift to be justified. That means to be, you don't have to try and be good enough. You are declared right in the sight of God, not because you've text that number. If you don't believe it works, try it now. No, I'm not going there. You see what I'm saying? I think we could have had that line in there, Edward. You know what I'm saying? For those that don't believe, here we go. You don't get there because you've done. You get there because of what he's done for you. We want to be a church that declares that you are right before God because of what Jesus Christ has done. He died in your place. He offers you new life as a gift. I'll be honest, I give my kids gifts at Christmas and birthdays and sometimes in between. No, of course I do. I love to give them gifts. I'd be offended if any time I gave my kid a gift, they unwrapped it and said, okay, Dad, how much was that? I'm sure you got it cheap on Amazon. Just give me the bottom line and I'll pay you for it now. We don't pay for gifts, do we? So why do we try and pay for this gift? Because God says that Jesus Christ died for you. That you can know that forgiveness. Colossians 1, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, to Colossians 1, verse 14, it says about Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So those things I was talking about that we've done wrong, that we feel guilty about, you know, that, that, that pang that we think, oh, I wish I'd never done that, wish I'd never said that, wish I'd never thought that. You can know forgiveness. Oh, wouldn't that be great not to feel guilty, not to feel like I'm going to get caught out. This is what we have Because of Jesus. That's why we want to call the church Redeemer. Because we want to offer to people that are bowed down with a sense of guilt and pressure and anxiety. And why we want to say, hey, there is a Redeemer that can forgive you of what you've done wrong. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 9 verse 12 says this. He entered for once, this is Jesus Christ, into the holy place. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. They'd done that in the Old Testament. But Jesus died and shed his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. So what am I saying this? We call this Redeemer because it's not just about this life, it's about all of heaven. 
You see, why do we want to call it Redeemer? Because actually we would say that if you know God and you know him who's forgiven you, you're stuck in a pit basically, you can't get out, and he comes along and he just forgives you. Not just for this life, but forever. I mean, why on earth wouldn't you want to call a church Redeemer? So you're suddenly saying, we're popping the champagne this morning. That's how it started. We're not calling it Me Church. It's not iChurch for the Apple user, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess we could have had an app like that, iChurch, you know. And suddenly, No, it's not about us. Ultimately, we believe that the Bible teaches God created the world. Things went wrong. Relationships with each other and with him were spoiled. But there's only one story throughout the whole of the Bible. And that is the fact that God reaches out and wants to redeem us, to call us to himself, to forgive us. I think that this church is just an invitation for you to get involved in that story. And actually, it's not really something completely new. It's something that's been going on for years. And so why would we want to call the church Redeemer? Because it is about him. And therefore, if you admit, hey, I feel like I'm a spiritual slave and I'd like freedom, we'd say, come join us. If you say, actually, I feel spiritually lonely, hungry, and homeless, we'd say, come and join us. We'd say, if you feel a bit like Job, that actually, I've just been hit by a few things, come and get some hope. If you even feel like these two guys, that I I thought I understood Jesus, but it never quite worked out, we'd say, have another look at Jesus. So why do we want to call it Redeemer? Because it's not about us. It is all about him. We're going to sing and celebrate that now, so I know the band is just going to come and lead us in another couple of songs.